the lids would fly off and loaves of bread will be trailing behind us. But we usually get out there okay. It doesn't really matter what your bike box looks like on the inside. When I go to the airport, I'll have a roll of Gorilla Tape with me. But I like that they had signs on all the roads, uh, bicycles may use full lane. Yes. Ricky, what'd you have for breakfast? I had a bowl of oatmeal. Ooh, what'd you put in your oatmeal? Peanut butter and an apple. Is that your usual go-to or do you sometimes mix it up? Sometimes I do a banana instead of an apple. Good choice. So tell me about your bike, Ricky. What, what bike did you bring up here to Skagway? I have a Jameis Quest road bike. Why was that bike important enough to you to bring up to Skagway? I just thought it'd be nice to have a bike up in Skagway. Any, uh, any particularly good memories on that bike? Particularly strong memories? Yeah, I've gone on some great bike rides. I brought it with me to Austin and staying about four miles from downtown so I was able to ride into town and scoot around on it. Uh, we did there for South by Southwest? Yeah, I didn't know South by Southwest was a thing but it was happening while I was there so yeah, it was fun. What was the uh South by Southwest experience on a bike? Um, dodging through the crowds of people is kind of fun. There's just swarms and swarms of people just in the street and everywhere. And yeah, half the streets were closed. Okay. Just zipping around. You feel really fast. Yeah. Did you ever have any close calls on it? Almost run into somebody or anything like that? Um, in Austin, I have a bunch of different bike lanes, but they're all set up differently. Like some of them are protected lanes, so it's in between the sidewalk and the cars, and some of them it's two-way bike lanes. Some of them are on the right side, some of them are on the left side. So it's kind of
kind of tricky figuring out where you're supposed to be riding. Right. Uh, one night I was riding and it was a one-way street and we were turning left to the bike lane that was on the left-hand side. <laughs> so it's kind of an awkward turn and I clipped my pedal on the curb mm. and went down. Oh. But it was okay. Bounced back up? Yeah. Did you, have, did you need band-aids? Yeah. We were dumpster diving and so we dropped off. We had a whole big bag of bread. Okay. We dropped off at this housing co-op and they gave me some band-aids. Hydrogen peroxide. So you didn't have to go dumpster diving for band-aids? No. Okay, that's good. <coughs> Usually better to use those things fresh. Yeah, some things are good to buy new. So, what led you to, to go dumpster diving? Uh, well, I was living in Buffalo. I was part of a group. I did a lot of food rescuing. Um, I have a friend, he didn't have a job, he just spent his days riding his bike around with a trailer, rescuing food, and finding places for it, people okay. who would eat it. Um, after, the day after Valentine's Day, or the night of Valentine's Day, we went out and rescued all these flowers, uh -huh. and then gave them out on the square in Buffalo the next day. That's so beautiful. It was really nice. What was like? Tell me, tell me more about that. Like, what was, what was it like giving Valentine, giving flowers out on February fifteenth to folks? I wasn't part of giving the flowers out because oh, okay. I had to work. But they just met up in the square and made a little sign and just handed flowers out to people. Did they have a, nice a thing to do? Just because it was a nice thing to do. I was going to ask if they had a particular audience that they were gunning for, like people who didn't get flowers on Valentine's. <laughs> and, you know, they were looking to brighten their day after Valentine's Day. Like, hey, I know you're depressed right now, but <laughs> no, here's just, a flower. You're still worthy. Yeah, it's just kind of for everyone. It's mostly people who do Food Not Bombs. Okay. Which is organization or collective gets food that would have been gone to waste and cook a vegan meal with it. Right. And share it with everyone. It's mostly homeless who come. Yeah. But it's open to everyone. Yep. So it's a community thing. Yeah, they have, uh, I know Food Not Bombs from back in Norfolk and I'm pretty sure I heard about it back in Burlington, Vermont as well. So I, I can't imagine that Burlington does not have one. I mean, <laughs> they've got to, but... So what was the craziest thing that you carried on your bike for Food Not Bombs? We had trailers for the bikes mm -hmm. and it was always kind of a jigsaw puzzle trying to get all these mismatched pots and pans and containers of food mm -hmm. like bungee them down so that they don't go falling. I was about a, I don't know, three quarters of a mile from where we cooked to where we uh, shared. Gotcha. It's always stacked up, and a couple times we'd lose 
the soup or the tea. Right. Or the lids would fly off or the loaves of bread will be trailing behind us. <laughs> but we usually get there, okay. Well, that's good to hear. So did you pack your bike up yourself or did you have get some help on that? Uh, I had some help. My friend JP works at a community bike shop. Okay, in Austin, in Buffalo, okay. Mm -hmm. He also works at the Buffalo Niagara Hostel. Oh, okay. And they do a lot of really cool community stuff. That's where we cook for Food Not Bombs. And I went over there and he helped me pack it up. He used freezer bags and part of a helmet for cushioning. <laughs> it's kind of a DIY process. Well, yeah doesn't really matter what your bike box looks like on the inside. I mean, as long as it's protecting the bike. I've learned that um, when I go to the airport, I'll have a roll of Gorilla Tape with me. Uh-huh. And I'll give it to the, to the TSA guy. I'm like, after you're done inspecting the box, because usually the box won't fit through the, 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 the CAT scans. Uh, to scan it so they uh, have to manually do, search it wow so they have to oh, you, if they're doing their job right they're supposed to open up the box and manually go through it if they can't x-ray it wow I didn't know that yeah so I'll I'll pack duct tape like, not not like dollar store duct tape but like the good duct tape uh -huh. and I'll be like here use this when you're done and the guy's like thank you so that's I, good to know yeah it makes them happy because then you know like they they're not the ones who were stuck, like, trying to find packing tape to put uh -huh. onto your box. Or and then, just leave it. Or just leave it, right, exactly. I did, like, I think I made one box once where I had, um, um, I'd made zip tie locks so that when I got there, like, the little locking flaps were open, but the zip ties were ready to be zip tied closed mm -hmm. and locking up, and now I should, like, pointed it out to TSA. I was like, this is what to do, and they're like, okay. So when did you get the Jamis? Uh, I got the Jamis last summer. I was on an old mountain bike for a while. It sounds like a more appropriate bike for dumpster diving. Yeah, I love that bike. It was stolen off my porch though. And when was that? Uh, last summer in Buffalo. I came home from work and I locked it to the porch because I thought I was going to go back out to a friend's show. Uh, it was raining and I was tired, so I just went to bed. And I never left it out on the porch. There's a lot of bike theft and... Right. But I just totally forgot about it and I went to bed. Oh. And then the next morning I was going to ride to work and it was gone. Oh, that is... That, that, that is the worst feeling. Yeah, it was pretty sad. What kind of mountain bike was it? Is a Forest Park Terranaut. I won it in a... They did a raffle after a 5K that I did. Oh, okay. In Missouri. Sounds like it got you around well enough. Yeah. I did a couple short weekend tours on it and bike camping. Bike camping on a, on a raffled mountain bike. Yeah. Where'd you go bike camping? We went up to uh, this park near Rochester, New York, uh, Hamlin Beach. Okay. It's really pretty. We camped there. And then 
one weekend we went up to, um, we parked the car in Gloucester, Rhode Island, and rode about 30 miles into Providence. Okay. And then stayed the night, and then rode 60 miles to Boston. Okay. And then took the train back to Providence and rode back to Gloucester. So how does how does biking in Boston compare to biking in Skagway? <laughs> uh, there's a little more traffic in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of intense. It is, isn't it? But I like that they had signs on all the roads. Uh, bicycles may use full lane. Yes. That was nice. Um, I felt like it was more tree-like traffic. Right. What's the same? What's the same between biking in Boston and biking in Skagway? Um, I mean, there's still should be aware of traffic in Skagway. Where, where would you call home once your season in Skagway is done? Where are you going to head back to? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> so you are a bit of a nomad then. Yeah, I guess. Well, if you had a choice right now, like if, if everything aligned and you got like the perfect opportunity, where would you want to go after in, in September? Probably Buffalo. Yeah. What would take you back to Buffalo? Uh, I don't know. Okay. These questions are hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thanks for playing the game. <laughs> In each episode of Tell Me About Your Bike, I like to read a short essay by Paul Fresnel. This week's essay is entitled The Back Road. At the end of the Tour de France, summer reached its sand point. Long, infernally hot afternoons, with nothing particularly glorious to be interested in. Fortunately, there was still the prospect of the next cycling Grand Prix of our village, when we would pass spare wheels to the riders and in front of our house, give them water bottles. I was 10, I had a green bike, and I got ready for the event as if I were a racer myself. My physical training consisted of a series of crazy sprints on the road that went from our house to the village. In those days, the road was deserted and I could sweep from left to right without any risk to Andre Derrigaud, my major sprinting rival, against whom I pulled out all the stops in the last 300 meters, while the courageous and powerful Roger Hassenforder chased us with his tongue lolling 10 lengths behind. As a general rule, I crossed the line, which was right in front of our door, with my arms up, the victor. Sometimes, when the competition was too intense, I had to rock the bike back and forth the final centimeters to win by a tire. Other times, I lost by a hair and pounded the top of my bars with my fists, demanding a rematch. That afternoon, the confrontation was terrible. It was horribly hot, and we were sprinting hard in the dust and sun. My throat was on fire, and my muscles were strained. I have to admit that since I was rather chubby, my muscles were sorely tested. So I had to do this final sprint in a blind, total rush, an all-out effort with my back bent and my head scrunched down into my shoulders. 
When with a final groan I raised my head to make sure I had really won, I saw the enormous lady right in front of me a few centimeters away. It was too late to try anything, too late even to break, and we crashed into each other with an enormous explosion of fruits and vegetables. My front wheel managed to ram right into hers, tire against tire, and we bounced off each other. The crate she had mounted on her carrier, the bread and wine she was lugging in the shopping bag hanging from her handlebars, all of it was scattered on the road. She was planted there on her butt, black dress hunched around her knees, bun drooping over her ear. I blew very hard on my burning knee. I blew very hard on my scraped elbow. She simply asked me what I was doing on this side of the road, which was her side of the road. With my head down, I absolutely insisted on picking up every eggplant and squash, reattaching every bungee cord before limping back home to cry, finally. In every episode of Tell Me About Your Bike, I like to tell you about a podcast that I listen to on my bike. Sometimes I'll talk about popular podcasts that lots of folks have heard of. Other times I'll focus on more obscure and esoteric podcasts. I guess this falls into the latter group. Just this morning, I discovered a new podcast called Coffee Break German. If you've ever studied a foreign language for a few years, but then found yourself plateauing at the intermediate level, it can be hard to find the appropriate learning materials. It's frustrating when you can count to 100 and name the seasons and do your declensions, and you don't endlessly want to repeat the same vocabulary tests and grammar drills, but yet you're not quite ready to watch sitcoms or read magazines in your foreign language. Well, Coffee Break German Podcast finds that middle ground. Each episode of the podcast features a short story told in German. The story is broken down sentence by sentence by the two hosts in English who dissect the compound nouns and their grammatical quirks. If you're a student of German and you want to sharpen your skills, check out Coffee Break German. So thanks for listening to another episode of Tell Me About Your Bike. This is a one-man effort and there have been plenty of opportunities for me to learn along the way. I'm going to try sticking to a weekly Friday release schedule for the rest of the year. I've got a number of interviews in the pipeline with my son and my mother and a fellow Jimmy John's delivery rider and more Sockeye Cycle bike guides. I'm also working on a multi-part story on my recent Alpine Grand Fondo, where I set my bicycle speed record for the year on an epic descent, 54 miles per hour. I never feel more alive than when I'm barreling down a mountain on my bike. You can follow Tell Me About Your Bike on Instagram and Facebook. If you've got a story to tell me about the meaning of life, the universe, and bicycling, then drop me a line at tellmeaboutyourbike at gmail.com. Let's meet up, let's go for a spin, make some memories, and record a podcast. If you believe that bicycles can be vehicles for storytelling, if you want to hear more stories about bikes, biking, and the meaning of life, if this podcast brings value to your life, then please consider supporting Tell Me About Your Bike on Patreon. You can find the Patreon link in the show notes. I'll give a shout out to anyone who donates, even if it's just a dollar, and I'll be announcing some new exclusive gifts for Patreon soon, so stay tuned. Keep the rubber side down, keep on rolling, and cheers, y'all.